Thank you for tuning in to the Reclamation Church podcast. My name is John. I serve as the youth director here at Reclamation Church in Plano, Texas. And I'm so excited that you've decided to join us today. Today, on our Sunday episode, we finish our series, Let It Go, as we hear from Pastor Tom Wilson. If this is your first time hearing about Reclamation Church, I'd invite you to visit our website at re.church. As we allow those little things to kind of set up and build up in our lives, they can actually cause massive problems um, in our lives. And so we use the analogy of pebbles in our shoe, and we have to learn to remove those pebbles, or before long, they'll actually build up and get really, really painful over time and and really kind of make you sensitive to be around. Uh, Week number two, we talked about bigger betrayals, and and please hear me, these are not things that you can just get over really quickly. Um, this is uh, someone may have hurt you deeply, physically, emotionally, sexually, whatever that might be, and you maybe you're holding on to that, and that's been going on for, you know, maybe it's decades you're, you're harboring that frustration. Um, and so last week, uh, we also talked about forgiving God, and it, that that's in and of itself is an oxymoron because God doesn't sin, and what we essentially talked about is uh, we can actually uh, even hold a grudge against God. And what happens is we uh, are not happy with the way he allows things or doesn't perform miracles or whatever it might be for your situation, that it actually creates this this block between you and him and your relationship. And it becomes kind of, you know, uh, strained. So we learned that we need to trust God and, and pull that out and understand that, you know, just because God uh, uh, delays doesn't mean he's denying and God will never ever ever waste a hurt in your life and so we, we trust him with that so today uh, as we get into this I want to encourage you guys if you have not yet you can jump on our website and click and download our sermon uh, notes uh, easy way for you to kind of follow along as we go through our lesson this morning you can click it right there and watch it also want to give a quick shout out just to a few people that I see online I see Tracy Hensley and Dixie Longo and Alyssa Green uh, that new baby, uh, Melinda Jones, Terry Workman. Um, we just love you guys. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in, um, as I know there's so many others out there. So, okay, today we're talking about forgiving a person that quite honestly is not so easy to forgive. And that person is you. Uh, we're talking about forgiving ourselves. And forgiving ourselves can be a unique challenge because at the end of the day, we know what we did, we know what we said, we know what we thought, we know how we react when no one else is around, right? And because of that, uh, it, it kind of puts us in a unique position where we hold this guilt and this, this grudge and this frustration and shame, and we hold it on ourselves. And I kind of thought, well, how could I kind of illustrate this? And so I chose not to go out to the Walmart for obvious reasons. Even when there's not a pandemic, I hate going to Walmart. So I reached out to Amazon and I ordered a dry erase board. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've done this several times in my life where I have a dry erase board and maybe I'm leading a staff meeting or I'm taking notes and, and things are going fine. But then what I do is I grab the wrong marker um, and I don't use the dry erase marker. I actually use a permanent Sharpie marker and then it becomes a whole new world trying to get these off. And I kind of thought this might be a good analogy because what we do is, you know, we know that God forgives our sins and scripture says he doesn't even remember them anymore. But the problem is, it's almost like we use a permanent marker, 
and we remember our sins even when he doesn't remember our sins. And so I don't know what that might be for you. Maybe it's a matter of maybe, you know, you were out late one night and, and you were drinking and you were making some mistakes. And, you know, because of that, uh, you, you made some bad decisions. And those bad decisions now kind of haunt you as you go on. And, and that one night, you, your mind goes right back there. And you know God's forgiven you. But it's just there, and you can't seem to overcome it. Um, maybe it's when you were uh, young as a teenager, and you were forced into a corner, and then there you made bad decisions. And those bad decisions not only impacted you, but maybe they embarrassed your family. Um, maybe they, they hurt people around you. Um, but they impact everything around us, and it's just like a grudge that you're holding on yourself, and you can't seem to let go. Um, maybe it was you hurting your family. Um, what about this one? Um, it very well could be that in your marriage, things got strained for a while, um, and then you made some decisions, and then before you long, you're walking a different way from your spouse, and, and then you just got tripped up in that, that sin, right? Um, and, and maybe it was a matter of actually committing adultery on the one you love dearly, and you're like, you know, I, I can ask for forgiveness, and, and God's forgiven that, and maybe your spouse has even forgiven you, but you're holding on to that junk, and because of that, you have this, this sharp, painful stuff in your life that you just can't seem to get away. Or maybe it's this one, right? I mean, let's not forget just how common this is. Maybe it's just clicking too many times, and before long, Satan finds just a little trinket to kind of knock in front of you on the webpage, and before you're like, you're looking at pornography, and you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, and looking things you shouldn't be doing. And again, you can ask for forgiveness from God, and he wipes that slate clean, but it's like it's a permanent marker in our mind, and we can't seem to actually let this thing go. And so today, what I want to talk about, I actually kind of titled today's message is living with the guilt from our past. But essentially, we're asking the question, why can't I forgive myself? And as we dig into this, I want us to understand a couple things. First of all, not all guilt is created equal, okay? Um, there is a thing that's known as false guilt, which is basically guilt um, that someone might actually feel, and that guilt is not deserved at all. Um, we don't really know why that is, but it just kind of happens naturally. You, you see this a lot with kids. Their parents get divorced, and you know, you've got a husband and a wife, and don't know what's going on, but they've got some issues between them, and they end up getting a divorce. And yet, as a very common natural reaction, it's the kids who feel guilty about it. And in their minds, they think, well, if I could have just done this or kept my room clean or, or not asked for so many things, or if I just wasn't such much, you know, if I wasn't so much of a handful. And the reality is, it has nothing to do with the kids, and it's not their fault, but we still hold that false guilt on us. Um, or I, I mentioned earlier, victims of someone who may have abused their power, and maybe that was physically or, or emotionally or verbally. And the sad reality is, even though you're the victim of the abuse, so many times that person walks away, they feel guilty, even though they haven't done anything. Um, I'll share kind of one example in my life of, of false guilt that I actually had to deal with. And I grew up in the panhandle of Texas, and I went to uh, AHS, which is the Amarillo High School. Um, it's the golden black high school in the Panhandle, and it is the best high school in the Panhandle. Uh, we were known as the Golden Sandies. We actually had a little tornado guy with like punching gloves for our mascot. 
Um, and like so many high schools, you know, as you get a little older, they allow you some freedom to go off campus for lunch. And I'll never forget, my, my sophomore year, I wasn't old enough to actually have a car. I wasn't 16 yet. And so I was still st stuck walking to lunch, but I knew I wanted to get away from the cafeteria. Well, down the road, there was really one, only one place within walking distance, and it was a convenience store. And if you happen to be from Amarillo, then you know that this store is called Toot and Totem. Uh, because Toot and Totem is basically a 7-Eleven on steroids, and they're everywhere in the town. I mean, it has just taken over this town. And like, you know, most, you know, 7-Elevens or convenience stores or a racetrack or a QT, you can walk in, and back then, you know, for, for two, three bucks, you get a hot dog and chips and a drink, and it was within walking distance. So the whole first semester, I was walking with a friend of mine, and we had developed a really close friendship and relationship. And Things were going great, and we hung out, and we had good times together. And then the second semester, our schedules changed, and so we didn't have the same lunch. And so what happened now is he would walk to Toot and Totem at one hour, and then I would walk to Toot and Totem at another hour. You know, flash forward about four months, and I'm sitting, this, this will date me a little bit, but I'm sitting in my typewriting class, and I'm actually learning to type on a typewriter, not a computer. Um, and the announcement comes on. And then it said, we'd like to take a moment of silence for his name because he had committed suicide over the weekend. And, and I will tell you, I, I heard that and it, it, it just rocked my world. And even though I had nothing to do with it and even though we had kind of grown apart because we weren't having lunch together every day, um, I really felt this false guilt because I, I didn't do enough. I couldn't have been there. But the reality was he wasn't in a good place. And emotionally, he was kind of out of whack. And so he was hurting. But it took me a couple years to get over that, right? And, and false guilt is always dangerous. False guilt is always non-productive. And I believe God wants us to let those things go in our lives. There's another type of guilt. And this guilt, believe it or not, can actually draw you closer to God. And it's a guilt that we're going to look together. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Um, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up there. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. And here's what it says. It says, godly sorrow. Now, if you happen to be someone who uh, underlines words or highlights words, I highly encourage you, or you can do it on your TV screen or your iPad, whatever you got, uh, just circle that godly sorrow. It says godly sorrow brings repentance, right? I, I wish I hadn't done that. God, I am so sorry. God, I want to overcome that. I want to be free from that, right? I hurt somebody and I feel bad for that, right? Godly sorrow is the word I want you to circle, brings repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret, so godly sorrow, it leads repentance, and it brings about salvation and leaves no regret. But here's this other type. It says, the worldly sorrow brings death. Right? So this godly sorrow is almost this conviction when you've done something and you feel the Holy Spirit kind of knocking on your heart and saying that that was bad. Right? That was a mistake. You need to make some changes. You need to repent of your sin. You need to make atonement for that. Right? And you tell yourself, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to hurt people around me. Right? I want to apologize. And what happens is, is God begins to work in your heart. And he can actually use those moments of godly sorrow or conviction to draw you back to him. So there's a massive difference between a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. And I want to show you an example of this that we see in Scripture. And we're going to be looking at a guy named Peter. Now, Peter is in the New Testament. 
Peter is one of the 12 apostles, and what we're going to learn about Peter is Peter is a lot like you and me. Um, I will say me for sure, and I don't, I don't want to throw you under the bus too, um, but Peter's a pretty good guy, you know? I mean, he's got a lot of great qualities. However, um, every once in a while, and this is how I can relate, he just does something incredibly dumb. He, he just walks right into it and just oops, right? How did I get here? That's what we're talking about with Peter. Now, this particular um, incident took place right as Jesus was nearing the cross. So he had had his three years of ministry, and what took place is they were in the upper room. We just had communion. We kind of talked about that a little bit. And then what took place is a guy named Judas would betray Jesus, and you've probably heard of that before. And then what happened is he would go out, and Jesus would be arrested. But let's push pause and talk about the forefront. Let's talk about the context. Because Peter, oh, he made some promises. Peter went out of his way to brag upon himself. And here's what Peter said. What Peter said was, hey, Jesus, and not even instigated, not even prompted, he just started opening the mouth and inserting foot, right? He said, Jesus, I will never leave you. I, I, will, never, I will never walk away from you. God, you can always count on me. Jesus, I'm always going to be here. Even if everyone else disowns you and betrays you, I'm going to be here. Don't you worry about it, Jesus. And Jesus says, man, Peter, and he begins to actually prophesy. And he says, Peter, here's what he says. Before the rooster crows, you will live disowned me three times. And you can imagine that probably hurt Peter's feelings. No, surely not. Uh-uh, God, I, I've got this. I, I love you. I honor you. I respect you. I would never. Let's go back to our story. So Jesus is about to be arrested. And, and I got to give Peter props. He steps up. He tries to stop it. He actually pulls a sword out and he, and he cuts off one of the ears of one of the guards who's trying to arrest Jesus. And in Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he picks up this ear and he does this incredible miracle where he puts it on the, the head of the soldier. He's like, Meow, and he just, he heals it. And he basically says, not this way, right? That there's a bigger plan at play where I'm, I'm not doing this. And he allows himself to get arrested. And they then take Jesus and they take him to the, the house of the high priest where he's essentially interrogated. That's what's going on. And what's going, and we can kind of see the picture, is Jesus is in this house, and then outside, kind of in this courtyard area, there would be a, a, a campfire where they would gather around, they, they would kind of tell stories, and they would enjoy the community, and they would stay warm. That's where Peter ended up. And then one by one, the prophecy that Jesus talked about began to come true. And ironically, the first person to kind of call Peter out was a young servant girl. And so he gets scared to death because this little girl is looking at Peter and she says, hey, hey, hey I, I recognize you. You, you, were, you were with Jesus. Aren't you one of his disciples? And, and Peter instantly goes, no, 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 that, that wasn't me. You, you must have been mistaken. That, that's not who I am. I don't know who that would be. One time he disowns him. And then not very long ago, uh, another guy speaks up and says, hey, I, I know you. You're, you're the guy that was with Jesus. And his exact words, he says, man, I am not. Second time, he disowns Jesus. Let's read the third one together. We're going to be in Luke twenty-two fifty-nine. The third person that confronts Peter, here's what happens. About an hour later, another person asserted, certainly, right, speaking of Peter, certainly this fellow was with Jesus, for he is a Galilean. 
And Peter replied, man, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, this is the crazy thing. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And I know you've experienced this before where you're, you're, you're talking one thing and your mind is something else. And I can only imagine as he is speaking, he's instantly convicted with this godly sorrow. Now, I want to share a, a verse with you that maybe you're not aware of, but I can't even begin to imagine how this would have weighed on the heart of Peter. Verse 61, right as he says this, right as the rooster crows, says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, that before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. Now look at this. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I mean, you've got this broken man. He's just shattered. And you can only imagine that the guilt and the shame that was this put upon Peter in that moment where he knew he had said some things that he now regrets and he is doing some things that he absolutely regrets. And, you know, maybe, maybe you've ever felt like that. Well, I'm willing to say you have felt like that because, because you're human, right? I mean, we often say some things to those we love the most that, that we didn't mean, right? And it hurt their feelings. And, and if we could take it back, we would, but we do these things. And we ask the question, how can God love someone like me that, that never seems to get it right? Now, what I want you to catch is if you've ever been in that moment of despair where you were just down in the pits and you were hurting and you're, you feel bitter and, you, and you're holding a grudge against yourself and you hate yourself and you're asking, how can anyone ever love me? When you're in that moment, I want you to recognize that you were exactly where the devil wants you to be. Because he loves that. Oh, does he love this word called shame. In fact, that's one of our points this morning is shame is the devil's playground. He loves it. He uses it. It's a very powerful tool that he has in his arsenal. And here's what shame says. There's shame and there's guilt. And, and let me kind of help you understand this. So there's, there's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. And we're going to use the word guilt for godly sorrow. And we're going to use this word shame for worldly sorrow. And as I said earlier, they're not all created equal. They're different here. So let's talk about the difference. Guilt says this. Guilt says, I'm a person who did a bad thing. That's what it says. I'm a person and I messed up, right? And that, that can be forgiven and then I can be moved on, right? Guilt says, I'm a person who did a bad thing, but shame is completely different. What shame says is I'm a bad person. And what the devil tries to do is to take what you've done and connect it with your identity. And we are very, very comfortable with this in our culture because we kind of live in this culture where you are what you do. Have you ever thought about that? Right? I, I am someone who preaches, so there I am a preacher. If you happen to be someone who, who teaches children, you're a teacher, right? Uh, if you happen to install plumbing and sinks, you're a plumber, right? Whatever we do, all of a sudden it's like, you know, that's who we are. It becomes our identity, and the devil loves to use this. Well, you're a sinner, and you've messed up, and you're a failure. Therefore, you are a bad person, and what happens is we just begin to hear these words, and the devil speaks to us, and he says, you're pathetic, and you're worthless, and you're not lovable, and how could anybody even like you? And why would you say those things? And you don't deserve happiness. 
and he says things like, you, you'll never be blessed and you'll never have a meaning relationship and you'll never have a great marriage, right? Shame says you're always gonna be marked by that thing that you did before. And here's the thing is the pain you're experiencing, we tell ourselves, well, that, that's just the payment, right? I mean, I deserve that. That's just what I did. I made a terrible mistake, and now I'm going to wallow in this shame. And we tell ourselves, that's just the way it's got to be. And I'm telling you, the moment you start wallowing in your shame, the spiritual enemy has you exactly where he wants you to be. Now, you can almost imagine the, the, the thought process and, and the, the, the words the devil begins to tell Peter in this moment, right? I mean, he has blown it big time right? Jesus trusted you. And you can almost imagine these, these statements, you know, of all the people in the world, Peter, God chose you and you were at his right hand. And then you said these comments, I'll never betray you. I'll never disown you. You can count on me. And then the same day you did it three times. Imagine this fear, God will never trust me again. God will never use me again. I'll never have a meaningful ministry what about this one? Your integrity is gone. People for ages and ages and ages will know in the history books that Peter disowned Jesus, not once, but three times in one afternoon. Or what about this one? The fear that the other apostles, they're going to hear about this. And you've got to walk through that shame and that guilt, right? Shame is the devil's playground. And what happens is, is he likes to take this sharp rusted, painful object and just wedge it between our relationship with God. That's what shame does, right? It just highlights that we are absolute failures. In fact, here's a different um, lesson I want to share with you guys. One of our points this morning is the devil wants to use your shame to drive a wedge, right? He just takes this and just drives a wedge between you and God. And I'm telling you, shame, as he whispers in your ear, is one of his absolute most powerful weapons. Um, you're not good enough for God. You'll never measure up, right? After what you did, could God really love you? And on a side note, it's actually a pretty brilliant strategy from the devil. Because if you think about it, this can also cripple a church, I mean, really, almost instantly. Because if you have a body of believers, right, and, and within that body of believers, you have people have been reclaimed and they are born again and they are new, but for whatever reason, right, they, they know their past and they know that that ain't gonna wipe off real easily. And so they think, well, God's forgiven me and I know I'm gonna get, you know, into heaven. That's the ultimate game, you know, the end game at some point. But then this stuff I can't seem to get rid of. And here's what happens. We immediately bow out and say, well, I'm not worthy enough to do whatever that is. And so when, when the church needs someone to go out and to share their testimony of how good God is, I, I, guys, I'm not, I am not qualified because of shame. I, I know what I did. I know how I think. I know who I really am when no one else is around. And it can absolutely cripple the momentum of a church. And this is why it's so important that we talk about real issues and we talk about real pain in our life because shame is one of the tools that the devil uses to drop it right down between you and God and he instantly creates his division. That's what the devil likes to do. There's, a, there's another one though, God, right? God wants to use your guilt, not shame, but God wants to use your guilt to actually draw you closer Right? We mentioned that he prompts us, he directs us, he guides us, he convicts us, draws us closer to his grace. 
There is a fantastic quote, um, and I'll be honest, I don't have a clue who said this. I, I tried to research this, and what I've learned is there's a lot of people who take credit for this quote, so I'm not going to give many of them credit. I'm going to use the word unknown. But here's the quote. The devil brings up your past because he's intimidated by your future. And he knows that if he can just keep throwing your past into your face, then he knows you're not looking to the future. And the future is fantastic because God's in charge of the future and God may not be able to change your past, but oh my gosh, the future is incredible. And here's what godly sorrow says, right? Godly sorrow says, I, I don't want that anymore, right? I have a God who loves me. I want to be free from my sin. I want to be unshackled from this junk that I've been dragging around for decades. The devil wants to shame you and separate you. However, God wants to use that conviction and that guilt to actually draw you closer to him. Shame takes you to a very, very dark place. And here's what guilt can do. God can use guilt to bring you to a place of repentance. Now, repentance is one of those Christianese words. You know, Christianese means it's, it's really only used in church, right? We don't really use the word repentance anywhere else. However, it's actually a very common meeting. And I'm going to put a, a sign up on the, the, the screen here. See, the word repent is basically the word U-turn. That, that's really kind of literally what it means. It means changing the direction. It means going a 180 from where you were going. So if you were driving down pick the road. We're on Alma Road out here. If you're driving down Alma Road and you realize, oh man, I went the wrong direction, right? And you're going to make a U-turn and go the other direction. What you're essentially doing is you're, you're, you're repenting. You're going a different direction. When Jesus says, repent of your sins, what he's saying is, go the opposite direction of that sin. I mean, change what you're doing, change your lifestyle, maybe change the friends around you, maybe change the, the, the culture that you're in. Heck, you may have to change your friendships, you may have to change your, your workplace, whatever it is, but we're going to repent, right? It means, God, I'm so sorry. I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to treat someone like that anymore, right? I want to live in your ways. I want to find freedom, you know, obviously as a Christian church, we believe that Jesus died on the cross. And the reason he died on the cross was to pay for our sins. And he looks at this and, and he wipes it out, right? And we understand that, that you can receive grace. And what that grace is, is we come to him and we confess. And if you've confessed that to Jesus, it's forgiven. And now it's time for us to let it go. Let me share with you 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins to God, here's what we know. He is faithful and he is just. And then here's what it says. To forgive us our sins. And I love how this is phrased. To purify us from all unrighteousness. Now let me, let me share a different, more contemporary version of the exact same verse. But if we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted to remove to forgive us and to take our sins away, right? He's gonna remove them from our life. And what we've got to do is learn to let it go, right? If you've taken it before God and Jesus has covered it, what scripture says is it's gone. In fact, let me, let me share with you a, a fantastic verse that you've, you've probably heard before. Now, this is, this is Isaiah. He is a Hebrew prophet and he's really he's kind of showing us a glimpse of God's heart, right? On who God is, how he loves us, how he forgives us. And here's what he says, Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. He says, no matter how deep the stains of your sins, 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've got some stains that run pretty dang deep. I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Right? And we live in North Texas, and we don't get a whole lot of snow. But when we do get it, that, that beautiful first snow is just pure, and it's gorgeous. Maybe if you live somewhere where you're a little more further north and you get those snows and, you know, before long it gets slushy and muddy and nasty, but that first snow is just gorgeous, right? And then he says this, even if you are stained as red as crimson, right, you're talking bloodshot red, I can make you white as wool. So we have this dry dry erase board that what we do is we think, well, God, you know, he, he forgives me of my sins, but, but we have these things like our rap sheet in our life. And it's ironic because God says, well, I don't even know what you're talking about because I've forgiven those and I've forgotten those, yet we, we still harbor these. And so it's kind of like, if you've ever seen these things, these are, this is going to turn into an infomercial because these are Mr. Clean Magic Erasers. Um, highly, highly encourage these. But what happens is, is, is we begin to, you know, takes a little effort, takes a little work. But as we trust God, as we love God, as he works in our life, over time, we can actually finally begin to ignore and to stop letting it control and to just understand that these sins don't matter to God and our testimony, by the way, is God's involvement into our life. And, and what he's doing in our life is he's washing us as white as snow. It's time for us to let go of the junk that we did and stop living in the past. And, and let me just help you write this down, right? Don't let the pain of your past rob you from the future God has for you. God says he has a bright, incredible future for each one of us. The problem is we get stuck in the past. And maybe God's calling you to do something amazing for his kingdom. Maybe you're the one he wants to start a ministry with. Maybe you're the one he wants to reach the neighbor with. Maybe you're the one that he wants to to change the the cycle of dysfunction in your family line. Maybe you're the one he's going to send to a different country. Maybe you're the one is going to do something so amazing but we say, I, I'm not qualified. I, I can't do that because I know who I used to be. The beautiful thing is, as God says, we're a new creation. The past is the past. The past is gone. And every single time we, we wallow in that shame, Satan goes, I got him exactly where I want him to be. Back to our story. This is amazing. Um, what's going on right now is Jesus has died. Um, he has actually resurrected. He's had breakfast, and he's hung out with his followers. Um, and then he went back to heaven. It says he transcended back to heaven. And then before he went, Jesus basically tells them, hey, I want you to, to, to wait and to watch, and to watch with anticipation, because I'm going to send somebody who is amazing. You're going to love this individual. You just can't wait until he gets in there going, what are you talking about? He says, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, here's the amazing thing is, what we know, <clears throat> we've mentioned Acts chapter 2 a couple times in the last couple of weeks. Acts chapter 2 is a, is a powerful event that we believe as, as Christians because that was basically the, the, the start 
of the local church. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, the Holy Spirit shows up and does some incredible stuff, and then boom, the church is born. And there are those who who think the church is a man-made institution. No, no, no. Jesus instituted the church to really fulfill his mission and to spread his grace and love all around the world and to help people understand that he adores them and he loves them and he died on the cross for them. And so what happens on this particular day, it's the day of Pentecost is how we're aware of it. And all these people are there together and they're there for a festival and some feasts. And he chooses one person to speak through. He chooses one person to be his voice. He chooses one person to stand up and to deliver the very first sermon in the very first church service in history. And who does he pick? He picks the same guy who disowns him not once, not twice, but three times in his greatest hour of need. And go beyond that, he locks eyes and makes eye contact. And yet God uses not shame, but God uses this guilt, this conviction to bring Peter back to God. Let me read to you guys. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful commentary. What takes place in that message, by the way, that Peter's preaching, very simple, very clear. Um, he says, repent of your sins, turn from your ways, right? Repent, turn around, call in the name of Jesus, and you'll be saved, and you'll be forgiven. Let me read you what this one commentary says. <clears throat> Think about who God chose to do his will, to preach his truth, to lead people to grace. Now, I, I hope this really gives you comfort, because, boy, it gives me comfort. He didn't choose the one who was perfect. He chose the one who was forgiven. He didn't choose the one who was always faithful. He chose the one who experienced his grace. The devil wants you to think you'll always be someone bad, but Jesus makes all things new. If you have given your life to Jesus, then you are a new creation. You are born again. And I, and I really want to close this entire series with an incredibly beautiful promise that the Apostle Paul speaks to us. And, and he's just talking about us and life. And as we go through life, it's not always easy. And there's pandemics and there's hurt and there's pain and there's people that we lose and our loved ones. And we open up our mouth and put our foot in and we make mistakes. And he says, I, I get all that. You're, you're human. Yeah, you make mistakes. But you're in process and you're in working process. And what God says is he's working in our lives and he's doing incredible things in our lives. And as we continue to repent and to ask forgiveness, he begins to continue to wipe off and, and wash as pure as snow and to help us understand that he's gonna use the past to actually help us in the future. He's gonna use the past junk that we've gone through to actually help people come to the Lord and to give glory to God. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul says, this is Philippians 1, verse 6. He says, God is the one who began this good work in you. And he says, and I am certain that he won't stop before it is complete. Amen to that. On the day that Christ Jesus returns. Right? Whatever it is, the weight, the guilt, the shame, take it and give it to the one who died for it and let him help us let it go 
but we've got to know that just because God forgave it to us doesn't mean we don't hold on to this junk. And God says, just just drop it, right? It's an insult to Jesus to think that he can't help us overcome our own guilt and our shame because the past is the past and you are a new creation. You are not identified by the things that you did. You were identified by what Christ did on the cross. That's why we're called Christians, right? We emulate him and we're a new believer and we're a new creation. Confess it, turn from it, and find freedom. Let it go. For more information on Reclamation Church, please visit our website at re.church. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at re.churchplano. Join me on Thursday for our discussions episode. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on Thursday.